was born on the 17th of November. Delve into a world of words with books and beyond. A podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. I came into the world as the youngest of five children. I wondered children. what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon you, limpid one. Why have you taken... Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Zi underlined three points on the context to gain There was initiative. no better wine and not to mention... The Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audiobooks will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favorite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us. Companies in big American cities have cut back on office space, resulting in rising vacancy rates in downtown office buildings and a drop in price of office real estate. That means bargains are coming for some tenants and pain is coming for plenty of others. Governments and businesses look to reactivate downtown areas, which suffered right during the pandemic. But is it working? Also, what's contributed to the ghost offices till today? And we always look forward to having a heart-to-heart with you. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer, please send your voice memo or email over to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in our heart-to-heart segment. For today's program, I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's roundtable, The memories of the pandemic shutting down offices are still fresh. Now, three and a half years later, one thing is certain. Droves of workers never returned in the U.S. In downtown business districts across America, some of the most expensive cities prior to the pandemic, such as New York, San Francisco, and Houston, office buildings are still more than 30% vacant. With hybrid and remote work now the norm in the U.S., empty offices have led to a steady decline in commercial office real estate values. So, Li Yi, please give us the skinny on this particular slice of U.S. real estate, commercial office space. Sure, it seems that in the U.S., commercial real estate sector is really hitting all-time low. I mean, property investment has been plunging, and leasing activity has been dropping, and delinquencies have been surging. According to a report released by the Cushman and Wakefield, which is a leading global real estate service firm, nearly 20% of office spaces are currently empty across the United States. And according to the report, it can be a milestone because the number really exceeds the vacancy rate during the 2008 global financial crisis. And in certain places like San Francisco and downtown LA, things can be even worse. Yes, and Josh, you've looked at this subject as well. Places like San Francisco and New York, these are kind of iconic cities, and uh, we know that it used to be very expensive to rent there for office and also for living. So give us more information on what you've found now in these cities. 
Yeah, well, I think you've just mentioned the key point, actually, and what mainly I've been reading about or when I've been trying to find explanations for this, and it is about expensive real estate, especially if you take a city like San Francisco, L.A., and New York, or of course, outside the of the United States as well, like in my home country, cities like London as well, the real estate is so expensive. And um, if we focus on a city like San Francisco, the rents and property prices in that city make it really challenging for businesses to afford office spaces, period, even before the pandemic, but especially during the pandemic and afterwards during economic turndowns. So as you mentioned, many companies have downsized because of this, uh, relocated. And although during the pandemic, that relocation seemed to many people to be temporary, it actually seems as though now that a lot of businesses have decided to stick with that economic, with that practice of people not coming into the office or having a hybrid system and then maybe eventually not even coming in at all. I can give you another example of the Union Bank building at 350 California Street in downtown San Francisco that may well become a symbol of the city's post-pandemic property market woes. As originally reported by the San Francisco Standard, the building was valued at around 300 million U.S. dollars. But as it went on sale in 2020, the price dropped to approximately 250 million. And the final offers reportedly came in at only 60 million U.S. dollars. Prior to the pandemic, with the bustling tech sector, and even during the pandemic, with tech really having kind of a heyday for quite some time. But, you know, workers didn't have to go to the office. And now we're seeing that with the layoffs that have made the news in the tech and media industry this year and with remote work and hybrid work mode being the norm, people are simply not coming back. So it's also interesting to sort of to dive into the details and see, well, there are some businesses who simply didn't make it, but there are others that are still growing, but amid some setbacks, as well as major change in the office. And it's being reflected in the real estate market as well. So I guess the question here is also how worried should people be? I mean, you've seen these bankers who've lent out loans to these um, property owners and of course property owners as well as some of the, these businesses, they're all sort of adjusting to this change. So is it a worrying scene or it's not so bad in the sense this is just some kind of transition? Well, I would say among all those uncertainties, this kind of downward trend in the business real estate sector, either in the US or in other countries is basically one thing among others. I mean, we've seen a lot of this discussion about how the world experiencing economic uncertainties, especially since the pandemic. But I would say overall, we should hold and wait and see attitude toward this. Because as you said, it can be like two sided story. On the one hand, cities like San Francisco, and also some like tech hub cities in China, China, they have been experiencing such transformation or change even before the pandemic, because there used to be discussion about how those traditional business models adapt to the new trend, especially to the new changing tech landscape. And now it seems that the pandemic and the remote work 
is basically accelerating the whole process. Right. And meantime, of course, there remain economic uncertainties. But I would say the outlook for the future of the whole economic development is kind of mixed. So I would say people are like waiting and see what will come next. And regarding this business real estate sector, it can be so much more complicated, I would say. Well, I think that the consequences of this, I agree that they can be mixed, they can be positive and negative. But actually, I think that it's more like it's going to be negative in the short term because we're in this state of transition. We're maybe at the start of this state of transition when、mm. it comes to、um, reimagining office space, really. And I think on a much broader scale, it's about reimagining the urban city environment, urban planning, and revitalization. I think right now, We have these empty office buildings, but I think that that is going to it. It has to prompt cities to review their urban planning strategies, and I think that this could lead to、uh, a really positive reimagination of how our cities look, and maybe we can have、um, office spaces that are used for different purposes,、mm-hmm. so like more of a co-working setup,、mm-hmm. or there's also some things called mixed use. Developments where their office space is just some of the time, and they can also be used for other things.、Um, so I think that it could actually be really positive for cities in the long run, but it may need some time because these are physical large buildings, and it's not instant. You know, we cannot just simply change them overnight.、Right. Um, although it, I think it can be a bit quicker than maybe we think. I, I know that in Beijing that. This kind of development can happen very, very fast. So,、uh, who knows? Maybe in the next five or six years, we we really could see a completely different looking city. And San Francisco is a really is really the best example here as well. I know that earlier, Heyang, you mentioned about the the tech side of things and San Francisco San Francisco, sorry, being such a tech dominated city. And I think that that's possibly one of the Things that could really change about cities like that as well, and I don't know in China if there's any equivalent、um, directly to this, but of course a lot of these companies in San Francisco that boomed during the tech boom, a lot of these companies expanded so rapidly, bought massive office space, and then they just don't need it anymore. So I think that there's going to be a big reimagining of that city in particular.、Mm-hmm. I think it could be positive, but it may take some time. Yes, and. Well, you know, look where the pendulum swings, and that's kind of what we're speculating here.、Um, also, if we may、uh, go a bit deeper into the reasons why that this has become such a prevalent phenomenon in the real estate market, and let's still take the U.S. as an example before we talk about China. So. What are the key drivers to people out of office buildings? I would say among all the factors, the COVID nineteen pandemic is definitely the biggest, or one of the biggest one that has changed the way we live and work. I mean, ghosted office buildings is kind of like a reflection of that evolving nature of work generally. 
um, with the rise of like remote work and also more flexible schedules, many employees, they don't really need to be physically present in those offices or in the office buildings every day. And also for companies, they're also adopting such flexible working arrangement and schedules. And they finally realized somehow that their employees can work efficiently without being physically in the offices. So even after the pandemic, some companies would also want to continue that kind of remote working schedule. And of course, this shift has definitely reduced the demand for those business buildings, especially in downtown cities, which usually uh, means that you have to pay for very expensive rents. And for company operators, they just need to make the calculation. So that could just lead to their decisions that they tend to either reduce the area that they rent in business buildings, or they simply just shift their business areas in like suburban areas, or basically they don't really have a business area at all. And uh, of course, on the positive side, of course, we can say uh, with the advancements coming up in the technology sector, we have like all kinds of tools that can help us keep online, like online meeting and all those social media platforms that can just uh, help us to stay online like 24 hours a day, which can be really efficient from the perspective of employers. <laughs> so, you know, I think these are the two major drivers of this kind of business real estate shift. Um. Well, the U.S. is a, such such a diverse place when it comes to regulations, right? Given that they've they've got um, different zoning restrictions and regulations for different states and things like this. But I know that in a lot of the most developed parts of the U.S., they have very strict zoning restrictions and regulations. Such again, like San Francisco and L.A., uh, famous for its zoning restrictions, actually, um, which means that building codes they can really restrict. Uh, the conversion even and adaptive reuse of an office space. So this this is one issue here, actually, uh, that, that needs to be mentioned. So even if there is an empty building um, and people want to reuse it, sometimes it's not exactly possible. And so this is why I think in areas like San Francisco in the US, cities like San Francisco, massive cities, that sometimes these spaces end up being empty because it's simply not simple enough to just reuse them and fill them up for many complicated reasons that I won't go into detail about. Um, in my own country, as an example, um, this problem also exists for slightly similar reasons. Again, real estate real estate costs and affordability. It's no surprise London, also one of the most expensive cities for real estate in the world, including rental costs for office buildings. Also, um, the COVID-19 pandemic, again, it accelerated remote work in cities all over my own country, all over the world, actually. So this is more of a global trend. But I think that, again, outside of the US, the UK, Europe, this is one of the big ones. Also, let's not forget about the cost you know, you have to spend in terms of renting and also operating your business areas. First of all, the rents can be really high. And of course, you have to pay for the electricity, the water and everything to in terms of maintenance to keep this office can run in a normal state. So especially with the current economic uncertainties, I would say company operators, they would like to save that money if they can really allow their employees to work at home. And that's the thing. In China, you're not seeing so many companies that allow their employees 
work at home. But you know, that also maybe would mean that at least in this particular part of the housing market, that is office real estate, we might not have seen such drastic changes. And also, it's really interesting that you you guys bring it up that in light of these changes, who is it benefiting, right? Because if let's say you are a worker, now you can happily work hybrid and only come into the office twice a week as such, then supposedly you're quite happy with this. And if you are the company's operator and you're saving on cost of uh, this office space, simply you don't need that much, then you're probably quite happy about it as well. And who's not happy about it? Again, the banks who are like, oh, loan delinquency here happening. And also for governments to see, whoa, there is this major change that's undertaking. And what do you do about it? And also, I would think that the small businesses around or within these business districts, the coffee shops, the restaurants, the newsstands, you know, they would all be affected because you don't have so many people coming into the office every day anymore. So this is the drastic change that takes place. And it depends on who you are and you would feel very differently about the result of it. And also we're seeing that the older office buildings, they're really suffering from this situation. And with some of the newer high rises, the flashy office buildings, well, yeah, they are not suffering so much. But with a lot of the more like regular office buildings, then they're really taking the brunt now, it seems. Yeah, as you said, I would say that's like an extra pressure, you know, on the shoulder of those companies or individuals who own, you know, those empty spaces. That means they can't really receive any rents. Meantime, they have to continue to bear the costs associated with like maintaining the buildings. So Yeah. yeah, I would say different people, we have different implications in terms of this phenomenon. Right. And what about here in China? We've seen that the tech industry has gone through a bit of a fluctuation period. And we're seeing that office buildings, they are going through kind of a post-COVID adjustment period as well. Could you give us some information on that? Yeah, sure. I would say, you know, according to a report conducted by Caixin, it seems that China's market for office space did pretty well during much of the pandemic, especially with the strong demand coming from the tech and finance companies. However, in the year of 2022, corporate demand for office space collapsed after the first quarter and even like the biggest cities like Beijing and Shanghai, uh, where demand is usually the the strongest, were not really spared. And uh, big cities like Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou, and Shenzhen somehow suffered losses in that least office space. 
And but still, you know, tech companies are the biggest occupiers and the major demand drivers in this business office market. And for example, in the city of Beijing, the capital city of China, tech companies accounted for nearly 40% of the total leased transaction area of the Great A office market in 2022. And it seems that, you know, this year in 2023, things are somehow getting better because we've seen a recent report conducted by China Times. And uh, according to a local staff member engaged in office leasing, you know, market in Beijing, after the Spring Festival, there has been an increase in terms of activity in the city's office leasing market, and uh, primarily in terms of property viewings. And meantime, the rental prices of this business real estate sector in city remained relatively stable. Mm. Yes, and this is one part of this overall real estate market that people are looking into. And let's talk about with all these empty office buildings in the U.S. and also, you know, the vacancies. What do you do with these buildings? Um, Josh, you alluded to this earlier on about the landlords getting creative in repurposing these places. And what are some of the common choices that people go for? Well, there's a multitude of things that you can do with a building, right? And a lot of it, people are always looking for and needing buildings for various reasons. We as humans need them and you can go as far as thinking about buildings as places of shelter for people whether that be hotels apartments or university dormitories or something else they could literally just be places turned into places where people can live more affordable housing but it can also be flexible and i think that this is kind of an idea that's still quite tricky for many people to get their head around simply because we've just grown up in cities where buildings have often been that building that has that purpose and it's not really flexible but actually a lot of modern concepts especially as especially as we sort of transition into this new working epoch of whether it be remote work or hybrid work or digital nomadic work or whatever it is where these spaces these physical spaces can be used just temporarily so they can be used by people at intervals whenever they need to be used. They can be rented on in a short-term way, so to speak. And I think that still we're working out how best to do this mm -hmm. exactly. I think societies the world over aren't really sure what to do with these spaces. Um, but uh, yeah, these are just some of the things that you could do with these buildings. And of course, they can be um, changed into community areas as well. And sometimes even some of these buildings and i by no means i do not like the idea of waste but if the building is not necessary at all um then it can even be demolished sometimes and it can be we can make way for public parks sometimes this has happened in cities or more green urban spaces roads transportation uh there's there's many things that can happen yeah and by the sound of it, real estate developers, or at least the building owner, um, would not be the first one to get on board in that sense. You'll probably need to compensate yes, quite a bit definitely. for them to want to allow this, you know, especially when you're talking about possibly mm. the really, you know, prime location or 
pretty popular locations in these cities. Um, what we're seeing in the U.S. is apparently there is a bit of a trend that's going on that is converting these office spaces into housing. And some people even talk about make it into affordable housing because apparently there are a lot of people in the U.S. who would like to have a nicer place to live um, or at least have a place to live if, if it's um, affordable housing. But it's also met with some naysayers um, because first of all, um, how do you turn an office building into a residential building? That sounds like a lot of construction work. You won't have enough bathrooms to start with. And but also some people are getting creative and saying that why not turn some of these empty buildings into warehouses for example like amazon you know with all the delivery it needs to do instead of having their warehouse in the suburban area why not just have one in the city center and would that make economic sense i think is still really key to the discussion i think despite of all those challenges that people are facing in this business real estate sector it does not really mean we aren't really seeing opportunities i mean here in china you can see that a lot of like new logistics center warehouses as you mentioned and also business parks and maybe data centers are being built in like remote areas or in suburban areas in big cities and so that could just be like a lesson or new way for those investors who are looking in this sector because obviously in china we are trying to upgrading like manufacturing industry and also telecoms and um, automakers they might not need their employees to be physically present in downtown cities but they might need like extras and big space in suburban areas who can really accommodate their staff and also their manufacturing lines mm -hmm. so there are some experts suggesting that for real estate owners or those investors they can really look into this new approach as we've seen in the U.S., in China, and many other places, work has long defined the geographic center of society and how real estate works. Could this be an opportunity to rethink the idea of our urban construct? I think the answer is yes. And in 50 or 100 years, we might look back at this moment as the clear point when that old paradigm broke you're listening to roundtable coming up shared massage chairs were never that popular but the business continues why is it we'll get into it right after this break go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, 
Shared massage chairs were never that popular, but the business chugs along. You can spot these idle massage chairs in most shopping malls and airports in China. What explains? And we'll have a heart to heart with you. Please keep sending us your comments, thoughts, and questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured on the show in our heart to heart segment. Audio clips are preferred, but emails will do. We would love to have a heart to heart with you. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. Now on Roundtable, what do shopping malls, airports, and cinemas in China have in common? Shared massage chairs. The amenity is there, but not that many people enjoy it. Young people, in particular, tend to turn away from these shared massage chairs. What explains? <laughs> <laughs> well, though you know, massage chairs—they are originally designed to provide comfort and relaxation. It seems that users are not really buying this idea because earlier this June, a man in Guangzhou, you know, posted a video saying that he felt quite itchy when using a shared massage chair at the Guangzhou South Railway Station. And then he found out that there were worms on the chair, and yeah, it's kind of disgusting. I know. And this video somehow triggered widespread discussion online. And quickly, you know, after the video was published, the railway station replied on its Weibo account, saying that it had fully disinfected all the shared massage chairs at the whole station, and also promising that follow-up management. Would be strengthened to ensure that massage chairs would be clean and comfortable to prevent similar situations. But meantime, we are like seeing too many cases like this. For example, like this May, a girl found that her skin was itchy when using a shared massage chair in a shopping mall, and later he was diagnosed with like skin diseases. And also, media reports revealed that a man found his leg itchy after using a shared massage chair in a shopping mall in Shenzhen back in the year of 2019. And similarly, he found many worms on the、mm. chair. So it seems that you know more people are paying attention to their health and they want to enjoy such like healthcare service. However, there are some certain problems that prevent people, you know, further using such shared. Facilities being installed either in shopping malls or at the railway station. Okay, that what you just said, Li Yi, inspired my idea <laughs> of a low-budget parody to that movie, Snakes on the Plane, or something. You know, it's like worms on a plane in chairs. You know, ugh.、Um, yeah, Josh.、Um, You know there are plenty of good chairs out chair. there, right? And you've seen them, I would think, in shopping malls here in China. Yeah, yeah.、Um, I'm not sure how many investors you're going to get for your movie idea quite, quite yet. But you know,、uh, yeah, I've seen plenty of. I've used them. I'm, I'm a、oh. regular user of massage chairs in public, yeah, in airports,、oh. things like this. But don't you feel it's.、Yeah. Um, A bit weird in the sense that you know if you get too comfortable or uncomfortable, and there could be moans and groans, and you don't really want to let it out in public. <laughs> nah, I've never, never seen that or experienced it myself. The hygiene issue is definitely very real. 
And I'm glad that things like this are being spoken about because I think, generally speaking, if a massage chair is cleaned regularly and properly, and that should be multiple times in the day, I think, uh, really after every person's used it, I think that it should be cleaned somehow. Um, and if that's the case, then I think they're fine, really, mm. generally speaking. I mean, it's just as unhygienic as any other chair, really. I guess that it's more intimate and the fabric yeah, is more is. porous, so it's more susceptible to things like worms, I guess, um, <laughs> getting involved in the action. And there's more to that, Josh. I mean, these are not just any mm. other chair. I have to disagree with you on this one. <laughs> okay, some of these fancy yeah, massage chairs... You know, they, they massage your feet, too. So, Do they? Yeah. They t you take off your shoes, you know? And, and how did oh, they clean never seen one of those them. things, you know? It's just impossible to fully disinfect them, in my opinion. And that's why uh, it's, I well, I just think it's really handy. Like, this is one of these uh, maybe good habits I've acquired ever since COVID. That is, you know, I bring clean wipes with me everywhere, you know? <laughs> And yeah, and just the thought that somebody else could be use this chair, you know, to have these intimate contact with, you know, different parts of your body. And then it's like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, gross. but don't you think, though, Sorry. I mean, this is true. May I just ask, don't don't you think that this happens a lot, though? I mean, mm -hmm. what about plane seats? People are sat in those for a very long time. Yeah. Getting but, all kinds of intimate with that seat. Ooh, but at least, you know, the <laughs> bits that come into contact with the passenger are all covered with clothing or cloth, you know. But with the oh. massage chair, for example, you know, there's that, that feature of massaging the neck. And there's no barrier between your neck and the thing. And... The neck of mm. the previous person and the thing. And then, okay, this is probably going to gross everybody out. You're sharing, like, skin cells. Ew. And uh, Li Yi, you know, you must have a defense for these shared massage chairs since, you know, <laughs> they've been around for a long time and they're not being taken away. Let me try to defend those shared massage chairs. I think, um, you know, the reason why we're still seeing a large amounts of such facilities, especially in public spaces like airports, shopping malls, and highway road stations, because people really need a quick and convenient way to relax in such spaces. You know, after a long day of shopping and also a tiring trip, and you just want a quick way to relax yourself. And maybe that is a major reason, you know, why we are seeing such shared massage chairs in a lot of public spaces. And despite of that, I would like to offer another uh, perspective to you know, explain the difference between shared massage chairs and also average chairs on planes or, uh, or high-speed railways, really to echo with what Josh previously said. I think, you know, because shared massage chairs, it involves massage. And for me, massage, you know, or any other massage session is pretty much like a personal and private experience. Think about uh, the place you do average massage or spa. It's usually like a private and little room and well decorated and which can offer you like a very pleasant 
uh, journey or, or experience. But I mean, if those massage chairs are installed in public spaces, that means during the whole process of my massage, I have to be watched by passengers <laughs> or simply just make me feel uncomfortable. So that's another, you know, maybe um, counter argument for massage or shared massage chairs. I'm so surprised, Josh, that you don't find this to be a bit odd because it's like, you know, what you, you're supposed to do in private, but you're putting on display in public. And then like, if I'm in a massage chair, the first thing I think about is I really want to cover up my face because I just find it embarrassing, you know, when like strangers just walk by and you're like, ah, you know, <laughs> like having a great time. You well, know? I, I'm, it's very rare as somebody who's used massage chairs a lot. I, well, in public, evidently a lot more than you guys. That <laughs> I've never heard anyone make noise like that while they're in the chair. Because you're all like, keeping it, it in. Most people, you're not enjoying your full experience because you have this, like you know, guard in your mind that oh, let let no, let me try to be mute. Maybe. <laughs> Well, also these massage chairs, they don't go as hard as the masseuse usually. And I've had massages in China from a human masseuse. And I am making noises when that happens because it hurts so much. <laughs> but these massage chairs, for obvious reasons, because they don't want to injure people, they go out of business instantly. They're pretty easy going. And yeah, there is a risk if people don't use them properly. Of course, there's always a risk of injury but i think that risk is really minimal and most of the time it's a very light massage and i get the idea especially about the neck area about that maybe being unhygienic and there being unwanted skin cells and things mm. like this but yeah I, I mean i think also the the user probably has to take some sort of responsibility and initiative to clean it i know whenever i use one i take an antiseptic wipe and i clean that part of it the part where my head or any of my skin will touch i i always clean it with an antiseptic wipe so yeah i mean good for you man is there something wrong with me I've, you're making me feel like i'm, <laughs> I'm doing something wrong no like, no no i just prefer it's the... good business obviously there must yeah. be millions of other people using yeah. it with me yeah it's always baffled me how something that i can find like a million bugs to is apparently features to other people that they enjoy because this business is obviously afloat because after all these years these massage chairs or also it's kind of interesting that they're called shared massage chairs um they are in all these places and um they're supposed to be making money yes i think for you know from the perspective of business operators it does not really cost a lot of money especially when they're about to start this business i mean they don't really need to hire a specific like business area you know to uh, operate such shared massage chair business and usually they just need to find proper extra space in those uh, shopping malls or train stations and according to you know media estimation um, it can be really profitable because if one user pays like say 10 yuan and a chair serves 10 people a day then the owner of this chair or this business can really earn 30,000 yuan by 10 chairs in a shopping mall within a month and meantime considering a common massage chair only costs like 3,000 to 5,000 yuan so after you know deducting all the costs and daily maintenance fee 
um, there's still a big profit space for those business operators. And also advertisement income can also be good for them because when customers are using those chairs, they can't really escape. They have to watch <laughs> to certain like um, perspective, you know, within the whole massage session. And uh, yes, as Josh said, I think the overall massage device business is kind of booming, especially here in China, because we're seeing data coming from iMedia research suggesting the export volume of the country's massage devices reached actually over 2.6 billion US dollars in the year of 2018 and rising by 15% compared to that in 2017. And also, um, it seems that Newly registered enterprises related to this area in 2017 reached the five times of that in 2016. And by 2018, this number had basically exploded. Um, but meantime, we have to see that the operation cost uh, is also a big number for those business operators because we can't really rely on the good willing of users to clean those massage chairs. <laughs> um, so maintenance is very important part of their daily uh, drop for those massage chair operators, I would right. say. Yeah, I've seen freeloaders and they enjoy their time. They just treat these massage chairs like regular sofas, sofa chairs, basically. And you don't want those guys um, to be occupying the spot when, you know, it could have been set to make money. Yeah, what do you think is key to this business in attracting possibly more users well i think that Huyang, you are a really great example you know how could they sell it to you how could they Impossible. make you do this right <laughs> what would it take for you to use a massage chair i mean i think the one of the biggest things with anything that's being sold to a consumer it's trust but i think especially when it comes to something that is related to your body physically and when it comes to something like hygiene right trust is everything here and uh, i guess that when it comes to using public facilities like this it's trust would be in the form of maintenance proof of maintenance and cleaning i think that you know some bathrooms or a lot of bathrooms i think most of them right especially public ones they'll have on the wall you can see when they've been cleaned for example mm -hmm. and i think that maybe every time the chair is used if there was some sort of system whether it be digital or manually i don't know but there should be some proof that since the last person's been on it it's been cleaned. Maybe there should even be an automatic antiseptic spray or cleaning. I don't know. Maybe they could change the, put some sort of cloth over the top of it every time someone new uses it. Mm. I don't know. But this is something I think that could, I don't know, would something like that maybe attract you a little bit more to it? That mm. maybe very, take the edge off? Yeah, very interesting proposition, Josh. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay let me give you some more things then something else that i'm going to try how i'm going to try and sell you this massage chair another thing that i noticed that's very important to you is privacy right yes and i guess this is a really tricky one actually personal space just because it's not cost effective to make all of them private right so this is a particularly difficult one i think and so maybe they could be placed in an area that was slightly more private maybe in some sort of dark room. I don't know if this would make it less or more appealing to you. Um, yes. Yeah, it's starting to sound a bit like some sort of Berlin nightclub now, but I know, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, something to, to deal with this, um, uh, personal space. And yeah, I, I guess that these are the main things, hygiene, um, trust and privacy, but I guess it all comes down to trust really. 
Mm. It's a difficult one. Yeah. Coming up next, let's have a moment of heart to heart. You ask. We answer. Roundtable. Heart to heart. This week we have an audio clip from our listener Song, who's living in Lanzhou. Hi there, this is Song Wei coming to you not alive from Lanzhou. Do I sound anything like He Yang or Lai Meng? If both of them could hear this, I would be very happy. You can call me Song by my surname. I'm a faculty member at Northwest Mingzhu University in Lanzhou, and I'm a super fan of traveling and a roundtable. Born and raised here in Gansu, I traveled quite a lot in different regions of China, in Liaoning, Chongqing, and Sichuan, for my BA, MA, and the PhD, respectively. It's been twenty years since I first listened to CRI, China Radio International. Back then, my favorite shows were Sunset Boulevard, Music Memories, and Easy FM. I became a loyal follower of Roundtable when I happened to be connected to CRI again. With the resources on Apple Podcast, I like Roundtable the way I enjoy watching Friends. 老友记 Hearing you guys from the air is pretty much like listening to Rachel, Ross, Chandler, Joey, Phoebe, and Monica talking and laughing in Central Park Cafe. When listening to your show, I always picture in my mind your working scenarios at your studio in Beijing. I forgot when I watched something like a vlog of He Yang and Lai Meng. Traveling to Lulang in Xizang, it's something like Lan Meng was helping He Yang to try for her first horse riding or something. If I don't remember wrongly, it's so exciting to see you guys interacting, hearing all the beautifully arranged English words being uttered with their image there before my eyes. 那是一种看到偶像的感觉 Seriously, I myself used to pay a visit to Lulang once when traveling around in Lingzhi and Lhasa. In the year 2019, the reason why I'm sharing this part with you is that I feel happy to know we may share at least something in common in life. Sorry, I might have drifted away quite a bit. I couldn't express more of my love and appreciation of your show, for your humor, wisdom, and critical thinking. Living and working here in Lanzhou, a third-tier city far from being developed, in a lot of senses. I feel okay with my life because I travel a lot, and I have traveled across 100 plus cities of China. And also, no exaggerating at all, I have you guys on each of my road trips. If I were 20 years younger than I'm now, or if I myself, back into my college days, had received earlier the sparks of thoughts you guys are sending on your daily show, like what you are doing now, I guess. I may have had quite different life options to choose from. I don't mean I may necessarily dream to live and work in cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, or Hong Kong. It's just the thing that if it were that case, I guess my life should have had more wonders remaining to be explored. Anyway, I thank each of you on Roundtable for the fun, the happiness you share and deliver. Attached to my voice memo are some photos. I took during my most recent trip to a township here in Gansu. Hope you would enjoy them. Welcome to Lanzhou and welcome to have a travel around Gansu. I feel so excited 
to send you guys my voice memo, first ever, and I hope it won't take me long to send you the next piece. Have a good day, my friends. Thank you so much. Mr. Songwei from Lanzhou, Gansu Province, you made my day. You seriously have, and you sound amazing. You should come and work with us, you know. <laughs>、um, and and also,、uh, Lai Ming is on vacation,、um, but I'll make sure that he listens to this once he's back at work.、Um, Yes, noted. And、uh, yes, just thank you so much for your kind and generous comment. Li Yi, what do you have to say to our lovely listener? I would say it's always amazing to you know hear such、um, audios from our listeners, and particularly this one. I feel like Song is like a friend of、a、mine、bus? from yeah. afar. You、yes. know, first of all, I also love traveling, and then Friends is also my favorite show. <laughs> so it's really amazing to see you know how we can share you know like similar life experiences and also the way we. Look at the road, and also Song. I'm super jealous of you because first of all, you can re- really travel to over 100 cities in China, and then I look at all those photos you sent to us. I think you are a great photographer. So why not sharing your f- super excellent photography skills next time? Yes, yes. do that and. Take us on your trip in that sense too,、yes. and Song, you remembered correctly、um, about that little video. I wish nobody sees on the internet of、uh, Liming and myself, and I was just going ballistic、um, getting onto that horse. Just、uh, yeah, but、uh, interesting memories as you bring it up. Josh, what do you have to say to our lovely listener? Well, I, I think the analogy of friends is. Really interesting. I just wonder who who you think is who in this,、uh, <laughs> yeah. in this situation. I think I know who is who, but、um, <laughs> really, your voice—you really have a voice for the radio. Yeah, it's really clear and articulate, and you're very well spoken. So、uh, maybe at some point in the future, there there would be an opportunity to to discuss with you. But thanks for calling in, and again, as usual, I'm just overwhelmed at、um, the the. Multitude of different people that listen to this show and how articulate so many of them are.、Um, I so thank you for calling in. It was really lovely to to listen to your voice, and I think you're、uh, obviously a great speaker. Yes, it must be a great experience to sit in the class of Songwei. Also, do you give your lessons in English? Because what a talent wasted if、yeah. not, you know, and. I just can't get over the breathtakingly beautiful photos you sent us. These photos of alleys of flowers and green pasture. Photos of—is、uh, it driving on the highway and going into the majestic mountains? And this is like the perfect advertisement for Gansu, in my opinion. And your photos made me think of a song. <laughs> It encapsulates my feelings right now at this moment, and I really wanted to share it with you, Song, and everybody else.、Uh, this is a song by Pu Shu called "Chung Chung Ni" the Chongko. Burst through your window, and that's how I feel right now. And also, might share a few lines of the lyrics with you.、Um, Break free from your windows' confines. The world at times a swirling mystery. Doubt lingers, silencing words. 
Yet within your heart a fervent flame resides. Swiftly dash out from your window with unwavering speed, without looking back. Through the darkest valleys, seek the gift bestowed. Do you know the distant horizon await your dreams, inviting your imagination to soar? Life, a dazzling burst of fireworks. How can we let it weather? Let it bloom in full splendor. That's my rough translation to Hu Shu's song, "Chung Chu Ni the Chuangkou." Burst through your window, and please don't do that literally.、Um, if you like what you hear, send us your questions or comment on the show to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. And that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much, Li Yi and Josh, for joining the discussion. Thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcast at Roundtable China. We'll see you next time. 世纪又世就像一个谜样的漩涡，到处布满疑惑，让人沉默不说。你可知你胸中有着热血汹涌？